Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey, everyone. Welcome or welcome back to the Independent Advisors podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. So good morning to you on your birthday this morning, Matt. Good morning, Mark. How are you? Good. Dedicated coming in on your birthday to do the podcast for people. So got to do the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. We love doing it. Yeah. No, it's been great. So um what do you got planned for the day? Anything anything special? I'm taking a half day today. Nice. Taking a half day and with no plans at all. Can you believe that? Good for you. Good for you. You, very might, you must me. like doing this podcast if you're here on your birthday. Yes. This is part <laughs> of the treat of the day. Oh, well, good. We're glad to have you on your special day. And uh, we'll get right into it and just jump into recap the performance for the month and the year of the major indexes that we track. And these numbers are as of the market close on July 28th, and the data is from Coifin. S&P 500 index is up 3.81% for the month and down 0.28% for the year. The Dow up 2.19% for the month, down 7.41% for the year. The NASDAQ up 3.41% for July and up 15.93% for the year. The IWM ETF that tracks the Russell 2000 index is up 2.06% for the month and down 11.79% for the year. The Vanguard International ETF, X United States, up 5.71% for the month and down 6.66% for the year. Three-month T-bill currently yielding 0.11%. The two-year Treasury yield currently sitting at 0.14% and the 10-year Treasury yield sitting at 0.58%. So yields have continued to come down, Matt, after they got a slight bump after we got through March and April. But yep. um, nonetheless, you know, I don't know if that's, you know, because there's a lot of people out there that say that the stock market's the dumb money and the bond market is the smart money. Um, so that's just kind of interesting to watch the uh, yields continue to drop here. Yeah, and I think the reason that historically people have said that, Mark, is the bond market um, dollar-wise is is three, four times as the size of the stock market in the form of like market capitalization, Yeah, right? So it just takes a lot more money, per se, to move the bond market than it does the stock market. Right, right, right. Just explain that to our listeners. Yeah, thank you. Um, so Q2 earnings season continues to roll on forward. Um, tomorrow, we're going to be getting a lot of the big tech names reporting, uh, and we've had a decent amount of reports so far. And I think you have some data here a little bit, Matt, that kind of reflects what we've seen in earnings so far. Um, I sure Q2, do. Yeah, in a minute so. here, when we go over tweets and research, I got an update, kind of how earnings have been coming in so far this earnings season. Mm -hmm. And then I think it'd be good for listeners. We'll do it in another couple of weeks. I'll give a, uh, an update for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, the jobs number for July is coming out on Friday, so that'll be interesting to watch. And also next Friday. Next Friday, excuse me, next Friday. And it's so, going to be heavily watched. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, another thing to watch is over the past week or week and a half, the U.S. and China have seemed to get themselves back into a little bit of a tiff. They have. <laughs> um, you know, kind of a tit for tat closing the consulates, and that's just something to keep an eye on. It hasn't really progressed, I don't think, any further than that, but just something to note that, you know, there's renewed tensions between two countries. There is. That's correct. Um, some data on new home sales. So new home sales rose 13.8% month over month in June to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 776,000. Um, this is from briefing.com. The consensus was 680,000. So that was the strongest pace of sales since July of 2007. That's a bold statement right there. Yeah, that's huge. And higher than the pre-pandemic pace of 774,000 seen in January. So on a year-over-year basis, Matt, new home sales were up 13.7%. So real estate continues to be very hot as it has been for the past few years. So, you know, listeners, what you need to be thinking about is, you know, are there plays, are there companies in that space that could be doing very well with this surge in new home um, sales in building? That's something that, you know, you want to try to extrapolate. And those are themes Mm -hmm. that investors try to take advantage of when they see these types of headlines. Yeah, absolutely. And the last thing before we get into our next section of the podcast is that the extra $600 per week of federally funded unemployment benefits that was provided in the CARES Act back in March ran out um, last week as of Saturday the 25th or Sunday the 26th, depending upon what the state of residence was uh, for the out-of-work individual. And state-funded jobless benefits continue for at least 30 weeks. Um, in 46 out of the 50 states, and that's from uh, the CARES Act. So, Matt, Congress is currently working on another round of stimulus that includes extending the unemployment benefits, but this could come at a reduced rate rather than the extra $600 per week, and the GOP proposal that was released just this past Monday reduces enhanced unemployment benefits from an extra $600 per week to $200 per week, ending on October October 5th. Then, throughout the rest of the year, it would drop to the lesser of one the amount needed to replace 70% of lost wages or federal assistance of $500 per week, whichever is less. Um, the Democrats came back, and they want to extend the $600 per week, so we're kind of in a wait-and-see mode right now and what happens with that. I heard that, and then I also heard in the Senate one of the major sticking points is providing uh, immunity from liability for businesses as well as uh, government, like schools, for example, from liability of, uh, unless there's gross negligence, there's details with it. So in essence, um, you know, there's some predictability for these companies so employees aren't Meaning so a company can't get sued because, you know, you had a meeting and they're claiming that someone got got sick at that meeting. Right. Exactly. Something along those lines. Yeah. So I know that's another sticking point I heard yesterday. Yeah. And then another thing to note is that I think Democrats and Republicans have both agreed upon more stimulus checks for the general public. Yeah, that seems to be pretty unanimous. And I think the only thing they're not unanimous on is the... The first round, there was supposed to be $500 per child ah. in a family. I think the Democrats want 1200 per child, and the Republicans want 500 per child. Okay. But on everything else, I think that they're on the same page there. Got it. Got it. 
Um, so moving on to tweets, articles, and research from the week. Since it's your birthday, I will give you the mic first. Love it. I got some good ones this week. I think listeners are going to enjoy this. So first one I have, listeners, is uh, a piece of research from uh, Vickers Stock Research. Now, this is the sister company of Argus Research, which quite often Mark and I will reference. This uh, piece of research is from July 24th, Mark. Okay, So they note that corporate insiders are at a neutral stance in regards to how much of their company stock they have either been buying or selling. So this is something we can track. During the months of February and March of this year, insiders were buying a significant amount of their company's stock, this research indicated. And I think we mentioned, you mentioned that on the podcast back in March as well. Correct. Another good data point back mm-hmm. then, right? So they said, and I quote, overall, there are no major red flags, but also, Mark, no ringing endorsement to sell everything you own in order to purchase equities, end quote. So again, we're in a neutral stance on uh, insider trading uh, that gets reported. So um, no potential tea leaves there yet. Next is from actual Argus Research. I have a note, and this one's dated July 23rd. I wanted to share with you. I'm going to share a couple of quotes they had. It was a multi-page market update, and a couple of things stood out at me. First, and I quote, The economic data for May and June released in June and in July to date has generally reflected a more rapid than anticipated recovery. Okay, end quote. Next one, quote, one clear source of strength has been the housing economy. Formerly complacent city dwellers suddenly want less crowded suburban and ex-urban housing and an extremely accommodative Fed has caused U.S. mortgage rates to hit record lows. I think it's I think the average 30 year right now is like something like 2.6 or something yeah, like that. And the crazy. 15 years, like 2.3 or it's it's insane. It is insane. It's crazy. This is not normal listeners. No, let me say it again. This <laughs> is not normal. Yeah. OK. Yeah. So all of a sudden, you know, when rates go back to four and a half or five, people are going to be like, these rates are, are crazy high. Yeah. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Right. They're not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, goes on to say, all of this is leading to construction boom. U.S. housing starts rose 17.3% in June to a seasonally adjusted rate of 1.186 million. And another positive sign, building permits rose 2.1% to 1.24 million. So again, another data point. We were talking about new home sales. This is maybe looking a little bit in the future with building permits still showing a bullish trend. Right. Okay. Uh, last quote I want to share from Argus is this consumers are showing an increased willingness to spend us retail sales rose 7.5% in June. Economists have been looking for a more muted 5.2% gain in June after May's surge. And we highlighted that May surge. Mm -hmm. Okay. The 18.2% jump in May retail sales were the strongest month over month gain since the government began tracking this series in 1992. That's big. And then it goes to finalize retail sales, excluding autos, were equally strong, gaining 7.3% growth in June. So again, another data point that is indicating the consumer is picking up the pace. And I think that um, I would extrapolate that that shows that they are more confident or they wouldn't be spending. Right, exactly. Yeah, just shows you that there is pent up demand there, as we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks, that 
you know, I think, <clears throat> in my opinion, that people underestimated the American consumer and their willingness to spend. Absolutely. And again, you know, we are just backing up some of our theses with actual hard data. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, I have another tweet I'd like to share with listeners, Mark. This one's from uh, Michael Batnick. And you have referenced uh, his items and his blog more than I have. And um, uh, listeners, he writes uh, a blog called the Irrelevant Investor Blog. And he had a post on July 22nd that I thought was um, noteworthy. Okay. So um, there's a chart that we're going to post in our show notes. And this chart compares S&P 500 dividends, okay, with the 10-year treasury rate. And listeners, if you go to our website, uh, jessupwealthmanagement.com, you hover over the podcast tab, you're going to see show notes. And then you're going to see this chart going back to 1999, okay? And the title of this chart uh, was There's No Alternative. And the source is B of A Research uh, investment committee in Bloomberg. Okay. As you can see in the chart below, Louis not liking what you're saying. Louis not liking the chart <laughs> talk. Uh, so, uh, regular listeners, you know, that I bring, uh, my dog Louis to work with us. Um, he's, uh, usually very quiet during the podcast. I know Louis, you're so upset that the 10 year treasury yield is, is so, so low. low. I know in it's savers are, are getting the short end of the stick, right? Louis, <laughs> So the chart, uh, it shows nearly 80%, this is the big part of it, nearly 80% of stocks in the S&P have a higher dividend yield than the 10-year treasury rate, okay? Now, this compares it to when this has happened in the past, and going back to 1999, it's never been as high as 80% of stocks yielding more than the 10-year. Right. That's big. Yeah. So what does that mean for people? It just means at the current rates right now, people can get more income over a span of a year if we, you know, annualize this number, you know, investing in stocks in the S&P 500 than uh, in a treasury bond, which is kind of crazy to think about. It is. And I think this could this could be a, th a 30, 40 minute podcast topic within itself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the point I would like to make for listeners is why do you think the market has, let's just say, a tailwind in general right now? It's because the Federal Reserve has artificially made rates so low, they want to force investors to put money into risk assets because rates are so low. And I'm not saying that's right for everybody. You need to uh, review your risk tolerance, your goals and objectives. You know, there's a lot that goes into that decision. But I'm just breaking out a common theme as to why people are sitting there and saying, why is the stock market so strong, Mark? This is one of those points as to why there's demand for stocks in general, because the income that they're generating for 80% of the S&P is higher than the 10-year mm -hmm. treasury. Bond. Right, exactly. And then just for listeners, everyone has to remember that you know dividends or the current yield of these stocks are never guaranteed, and they're always subject to change, right? So you could always have a company cut their dividend. Um, you know, when a, when a company's stock price rises, the dividend yield is going to fall because dividend yield is the dividend divided by the stock price, right? Stagnant. Usually. So people have to keep that in mind. I think when people see dividend yields, they think, oh, it's going to be, you know, X number 3% per year. And that's not necessarily the case all the time. So Excellent people just point. have to Excellent keep that point. in mind as well. And really, I mean, if you're making a decision to take conservative money and put it into stocks just for the dividend yield, 
you need to do a lot of due diligence on that decision. Okay. Right. I'm not trying to extrapolate that either. Um, so again, another word of caution that I think would be appropriate. Right. An example of that is no one ever thought that, you know, Disney would be a company to cut their dividend, but during what we've been going through, they did. Absolutely. So absolutely. Great point. Uh, Mark, I got one more, and this is an update on earnings so far here in Q2. It was a tweet from Stephanie Link. Uh, she's the CIO of Hightower Advisors. She's on um, Fast Money a lot on CNBC. She had a tweet on July 24th. She said, so far, 30.5% of S&P 500 market cap stocks have reported. 79% have beat earnings by an average of 13.7%. So, providing an update on earnings so far for Q2 reports, strong would mm-hmm. be my summary so far. Yeah, I think just a lot of people just really underestimated a lot of these companies' earnings and revenue numbers because, again, you know, a lot of these companies that are in the S&P 500 <clears throat> aren't necessarily connected to the real economy that everyone is living and breathing every day. And I think that, that those two things got blended together and you know everyone dropped their estimates for just about everything that's publicly traded and that's not necessarily the case. Yep. So, um, you know, it, estimates were low coming in, but um, a lot of these companies have reported really good numbers. Yep, I'll send it back to you, my friend. Um, so I just have two things this week. And this first one is from the Health and Retirement Survey. And the title is Spending Declines As We Age. The average retired couple spends 23% less money in their sixth year of retirement compared to what they spent in their first year of retirement. Hmm. So I just thought that was interesting, Matt, because we kind of see it, you know, in our practice and with our clients that retirement's kind of broken down into three stages we see is that the first 10 or so years, People, you know, their discretionary spending is at their highest because they want to travel, they want to see the grandkids, they want to do things that they couldn't do when they were working every day from nine to five, right? Correct. Second 10 years, they got that kind of out of their system and they're back to a relatively normal life where expenses kind of normalize for a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. And then the third part, the last 10 years, or if you live longer than that, it's going to be more than 10 years. Um, healthcare costs increase. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how we think about it. So I saw this, it made me think of that. So I thought it'd just be good to share. Yeah. And again, you know, as Mark said, listeners, we see this in our practice with our client base. Mm-hmm. And to see like a, a general statistic that kind of backs that up, obviously. So uh, we see it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the second one has to do with uh, colleges going back to school this fall, and this is from the Chronicle of Higher Education. So this fall, 57% of colleges anticipate they will offer in-person class instruction for the upcoming 2020-2021 school year. Just 9% will offer only online class instruction, while 29% of schools will provide a combination of in-person and online class instruction. The remaining 5% of schools have yet to decide as of Friday, July 10th of 2020. Interesting. So, you know, I know there's been a lot of uh, issues with the schools that are offering either the 9% that are online only, Mark, or the 29% that's a combination. You know, some of these private schools, man, you know, you're talking 30, 40, 50 grand a year. And some of the students are like, listen, 
if I'm not going to be sitting in the classroom the whole time, you need to adjust that tuition. Right. So what's your opinion about that? Yeah, I just, you know, that's my gut reaction with what you just said, too. But then there's also, um, you know, increased costs associated with COVID and going back to school is that, you know, the universities is going to have to pay for all this testing that they're going to have to do constantly with students. And that's their choice. I guess they don't have to do the testing, but I think to be politically correct, they have to. Yep. Um, so there are ebbs and flows in terms of costs decreasing in some places and increasing in others. others. But the reason why I feel like my gut goes with what you initially said is because it's not going to be that same college experience that me or you experienced. Correct. Right. Correct. So, and there's, it's almost like goodwill with a company, right? There's a, there's gotta be a price tag on, on the experience and the experience in my opinion is not going to be what it used to be. Correct. So, so I do agree with you there, but just interesting. Yep. Um, so moving on to the financial planning topic of the week. I think this is a pretty interesting one, Matt. I'm interested to see what you have to say about this. I have not uh, seen what you what you have this week. Yeah. So we'll yeah. So it's, it's around risk and what it is and what it isn't. So, um, you know, in my opinion, if you ask 10 people what their definition of risk is, you would probably get 10 different answers. I would say so. And um, Nick Maguli, who writes the blog of dollars and data, does a good job of breaking it down for us. And um, we've mentioned a lot of Nick's stuff here on, on the podcast before. So Nick starts off by saying, what is risk? Wikipedia defines it as the possibility of something bad happening. <laughs> Pretty the, simplified. Yeah. In the investment industry, we commonly associate risk with standard deviation or how much or excuse me, or how often an investment's return varies from its average. More simply, if investment A has an annual return of plus 4%, plus 4%, plus 4% for three years, and investment B has annual returns of plus 4%, minus 9%, plus 19% in three years, then investment B would be deemed riskier than investment A despite having the same long-term growth rate. So, Matt, I think that we need to make the distinction that, at least in my opinion, risk and volatility are two different things. Would you agree with that? Yes. Okay. So, what I just described, in my opinion, comparing investment A and investment B, that's comparing volatility. Yes. That's not comparing comparing risk. risk. So, in my opinion, risk more has to do with position sizing, portfolio allocation, um, money that's in non-liquid investments, and investing money versus not investing money and leaving money sitting in cash. You're doing this perfect. I have nothing to say yet. (laughs) I'm being honest. So, and then volatility is how much an investment moves, you know, in any given day, every, any given week, any given year. So can I give an example of that? Yeah. Think of like um, what people perceive to be the risk-free return, which would be some sort of a short-term U.S. treasury note, right? Right. So that doesn't mean you couldn't have volatility with it, Mm -hmm. right? Right. So I just want to throw that out there. Yeah. That's a classic example. Right. Exactly. It's a great example. Um, So Nick goes on and says, volatility is a known unknown, while risk is a unknown unknown. Volatility is a known unknown because though we cannot predict future volatility, we can make reasonable guesses about its future range. 
For example, if the S&P 500 were to decline by 50% in 2021, I would argue that such an occurrence is not an example of risk, but volatility. History suggests that 50% declines in broad market equities occur a few times every century. If you buy an S&P 500 index fund expecting otherwise, your problem isn't risk, but ignorance. So Nick continues to go on. People will say that an investment is too risky for them, but what they usually mean is that it's too volatile. Some investors prefer the predictability of bond income, while others want the thrill of individual stocks, options, and leverage. This isn't about risk, but about the kind of expected return an individual investor prefers. So that's the big one right there, is that everyone thinks you know, the risk surrounds what type of investment, you know, what's my allocation to stock versus bonds, because they see that if you're 100% stock, that account's going to be more volatile than a 100% bond account. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where people get the confusion is that, you know, they're talking about volatility. They're not talking about risk. Correct. Um, So moving on, so Nick gets into talking about risk, and he says, but risk is another beast entirely, because risk is about the things that happen that can't be expected. As Josh Wolf has preached many times, failure comes from a failure to imagine failure. That's where risk lives. And this kind of goes back to the episode, I think it was in March or April, reproduced, Matt, that we talked about an article that Morgan Housel wrote And he defined risk as risk is what we can't see. Risk is what no one is talking about. That is risk. We we nickname it in our industry black swans. Exactly. And I'm going to get to that. Okay. All right. I'm stealing your thunder. You're you're a predictor. No, no. Thank you. (laughs) You're that good. Um, So Nick continues, or as Howard Marks so brilliantly described risk, I tell my father's story of the gambler who lost regularly. One day, he hears about a race with only one horse in it, so he bet the rent money. (laughs) Halfway around the track, the horse jumped over the fence and ran away. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. It's great, man. But that's that's risk. That is is risk right there. That is great. I got to take that story now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And this is where he gets into black swans. The many examples of risk I have highlighted above, and this article will be linked on our show notes, as Matt uh, said before, are more commonly referred to as black swans. 2020 has made me realize that black swans are the only kind of risk that matters. Why? Because they are the only kind of risk that can't be prepared for, and thus the only kind of risk that can cause catastrophic loss. So how do you prepare for something that you can't be prepared for? You try the best you can. Do scenario planning, have ample liquid savings, search for flaws in your investment hypothesis. Risk isn't the possibility of something bad happening. Risk is the possibility of something bad happening that you didn't plan for. That's the difference right there. Say it one more time for listeners. Risk isn't the possibility of something bad happening. Risk is the possibility of something bad happening that you didn't plan for. So why is that is such an important statement, listeners? We reference this so many times in the podcast in regards to events in the market. Generally speaking, if things are telegraphed, that's not what causes the economic shock or the major sell-off. Right. Stuff that's telegraphed is not the issue usually for mm-hmm. the market. 
it prices that in over time. It's the unknowns that surprise the market, which cause those major movements up and down. Mm -hmm. Is that a good way of saying it? Yeah. And you don't know it until it already happens, right? That's right. It's, it's, not perfect, in. it's not priced in. It's a perfect in. example. It was the coronavirus. That's this right. novel coronavirus, no one had any thoughts about this And so in people the were attempting to price and quantify that from mid-February through the end of March. Right. Right? Right. And so the market led down ahead of the economy and ahead of all these cases, and it led it back up. Yeah. Why? The market's forward looking. Mm -hmm. Doesn't live in the present. No. So I thought that that was that that was really good. Um, so if people want to check out that full article written by Nick, um, that's on our website, jessupwealthmanagement.com. Hover over the podcast tab and show notes if you want to read more about that. So before we leave it here, Matt, you want to wrap up with anything on your birthday? Um, just a couple things. Uh, Fed announcement is today at two. Uh, we're not expecting uh, much fireworks from Powell, but he does have a conference at 2.15 Eastern time today. Uh, in addition, we have the uh, July jobs report next Friday that's going to be watched very closely. Uh, and then I just want to throw out there, I uh, uh, was at church this past Sunday and I ran across um, my uncle, it would be uh, Rachel's uncle. Mm -hmm. His name's Kurt, was uh, really enjoying uh, the podcast, sharing it with his, uh, his friends and family. And so it's just nice to kind of come across people that are avid listeners. So I want to give a shout out to Kurt and we appreciate you listening to us. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. All right, well, well, we will leave it there, and uh, we'll be back with you next week, either Wednesday or Thursday morning. Yep. So until then, thanks again for tuning in to the 56th episode of the Independent Advisors podcast. We all hope you have a great rest of the week and a wonderful weekend. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. And also check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. Here you'll find links to every episode of The Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words, questions, and topics in the subject line to mark at jessupwealthmanagement.com, and we'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.